So hello everyone and welcome to our new podcast related to book history. And my name is Natalia. I'm Erin. I'm Laura. And I'm Ellen. And today we're going to be talking about blurbs, book blurbs. And we're going to start by playing a book blurb game. It's actually just called the book game on Book Riot. We're stealing it from Book Riot. Yay, Book Riot! Um, and we're going to call it the book blurb game, though, because it's all about blurbs. So you probably know what blurbs are. The thing on the back of the book that tells you what the book is about with some degree of accuracy. But apparently blurbs also include all of those quotes from famous people or newspapers talking about how great the book is. But so who did read it? Did anyone read the history of the blurb? Because it's hilarious. Not yet. Mm-hmm. No? I read part of that one article that I said had the funny ad in the middle. The NPR article. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it was a guy who worked in publishing. Mm-hmm. It was a writer. And he was also like a comedic writer. And he came up with the idea of the blurb to make fun of something that already existed. Right. So the blurbs already happened, but then he named it blurbed. And it was like a joke because he thought they were really right. obnoxious and horrible. And then he later put out a dictionary, like a comedic dictionary of words you've always needed, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Words you've always wanted. Which you can find on archive.org. Oh, yeah. Well, we're gonna, I guess we're gonna link all yeah. those articles mm-hmm. in our blog so you can look it up later. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the useful information, all the stuff we mentioned is gonna be linked there yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. But so in that dictionary, he like puts in print for the first time blurb and its definition. I'm gonna read it to you because it's funny. Okay. Um, one, noun. A flamboyant advertisement, an inspired testimonial. Fulsome praise, a sound like a publisher. <laughs> a sound? I, I love like that. A like a sound publisher. like a publisher. You're like, what does a publisher sound like? Oh, it's just full of it's empty, warm. fulsome praise. Well, I mean, when I think about now, <laughs> pretty much every, every, yeah. every blurb sounds like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a definition for a blurb as a verb. To flatter from interest motives, to compliment oneself. And then he gives an even he gives an even longer explanation oh. and there's a poem. All oh. right, there's a poem about blurbs. So oh, that's sweet. Please yeah. check it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the game works like this: one person chooses a book, they read the blurb, and then everyone has to come up with a very convincing first sentence of that book. It's kind of like Balderdash, but for books. Um, and you'll see how it works, if it works, as we play. Okay, so who wants to start with their book? Should I? I guess I have okay. a really good candidate for the first one for this game, for this Book Riot book blurb game. Anyways, so um, basically I'm going to read out uh, a blurb. Um, it's The Invisible Library by Genevieve. Hogman, I guess. It's the first book in a series, and the blurb is as follows. One spy, one dangerous book, one deadly mission. And so on the back side it says, Irene must be on top of her game or she'll be off the case permanently. Irene is a professional spy for the mysterious library, which harvests fiction from different realities. And along with her enigmatic assistant, Kai, she's posted to an alternative London 
Their mission is to retrieve a dangerous book, but when they arrive, it's already been stolen. London's underground fractions seem prepared to fight for the very death to find this book. That's it. Okay. Good luck. Okay. <laughs> of okay. course I know. So now we all have to make up our good guess for a first sentence, mm -hmm. except for Natalia, who has to write down the, the real mm -hmm. first sentence. Yeah. Okay. We should probably put some funny music like in between while we are writing. Hmm. Am I supposed to read them out now? Well, once you get everybody's, back. you read them out, okay. and then so we, the people that have made up sentences, guess what is the real sentence. God, I'm and so I guess excited. We'll have to make like a little <laughs> score chart. Yeah, that's a good idea. To see who gets the point. So if you guess the correct sentence, mm -hmm. you get a point. But also, if everybody votes for your sentence, you also get a point because you're a good liar. Because it's just so good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Three magnificent sentences and one original sentence. Mm -hmm. And here we go. <clears throat> sentence number one. A cloaked figure scurried down the dark lane at dawn in the direction of the old boys' school. Uh -huh. <laughs> sentence number two. The sun was shining bright as Irene climbed the steps to the library. She had no idea that for the rest of the day, she'll be in the dark. Ooh. <laughs> Irene passed the mop across the stone floor in smooth, careful strokes, idly admiring the gleam of wet flagstones in the, in the lantern light. Wow. Mm. And the last one. There were footsteps behind her. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds like <laughs> a really good first sentence for, like... Those are all really good no, first sentences, I, I think. I like that one was in the dark and one was in the sunlight in the sunlight going into the dark <laughs> okay yes. well i'm impressed okay yeah so shall we write down so ellen your what's your pick so i pick number three with the flagstones i think it was all right the flagstones the flagstones i pick number four the footsteps behind her yes okay I the flagstones with the mop bucket so you Mop bucket. Mop. I would also pick that. Yeah. I don't remember the mop bucket. Okay. Or mopping. Mopping flagstones. Washing flagstones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're getting were... clean. Okay. So we are. <laughs> if I were to choose, which I'm not allowed to do now, but I'm still but... gonna say it, I'd pick up the one when she's moving from the daylight into the dark. Into the dark. Mm. Yeah, because I kind of like this, mm -hmm. this transition. But anyway, so you guys were correct. That was the wet flagstones mm. uh, and the lantern light. Oh, mm. that's nice. Okay. Oh. And that was mine. You picked mine. Oh, okay. I like yours. The subtle arts of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am impressed with you guys, though. This is a detail. Alright, so Aaron and I get a point for guessing the correct one. Mm -hmm. You get a point. So I'm going to give myself a point. Yes. I'm going to give myself a point in like a separate... Okay. Next. Um, I can go next. I... Uh... I just picked one with kind of a long blurb, so I apologize. Um, the book is We the Drown. Um, <laughs> on the front page we have Towering, 
We the Drown is itself a monument to the way that history can be made epic through legend. We the Drown sets sail beyond the narrow channels of the seafaring genre and approaches Tolstoy in its evocation of war's confusion, its power to stun victors and vanquished alike, a gorgeous, unsparing novel. A generational saga, a swashbuckling sailor's tale, and the account of a small town coming into modernity. Both Melville and Steinbeck might have been pleased to read it. And then, <laughs> and then the bl what I would consider the blurred part. Yeah, just all these authors. I mean, that they were is, really excited about yeah. this book. Um, I've never heard of this, by the way. Really? Like, never heard no, of it. No, no. no. Um, for all the literary masterpiece that it is. Tolstoy and. And Melville. Well, just wait, because hailed in Europe as an instant classic. So we know that this uh, it, this is a classic, is guys. Instant. So instant we classic. we in Europe don't know that. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to say, uh, we the drowned is the story of the port town of Marstal, Denmark, whose inhabitants sailed the world from the mid nineteenth century to the end of the Second World War. The novel tells of ships wrecked and blown up in wars, of places of terror and violence that continue to lure each generation. There are cannibals here, shrunken heads, prophetic dreams, and miraculous survivals. The result is a brilliant seafaring novel, a gripping saga encompassing industrial growth, the years of expansion and exploration, the crucible of the first half of the 20th century, and most of all, the sea. Surprisingly, yeah, there's actually involved. not that much information <laughs> in the blur. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't give because you names or characters. No, it just you keeps know the that's setting. a classic though. And there were no names, right, of characters or something. Mm -mm. Sorry, that's a really bad handwriting. I'm sorry. Now let's see. Okay. Ready, guys? Ready. It was as certain as the ebb and flow of the tides, a truth all sailors knew from their heads to their toes. Bad luck comes in threes. Four. He had never felt so seasick as that day when he got on board of the ship. Four. Many years ago, there lived a man called Laritz Madsen, who went up to heaven and came down again, thanks to his boots. Or, it was a mild autumn day the first time he set eyes on one of the tall ships as it slowly made anchor into the harbor. That's kind of hard. So I okay. would say the tall ship, what was there? Um, the tall ship. That would be my guess. When he saw the tall ship or something, something. I think it was the last. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. That would be my guess. Okay. What was the one with the with the name Matson? That takes some skill to come up with a Danish name. It does. It does take some skill to come up with a Danish name. How do we know it's a Danish name? Well, yeah, I was like, what is it? A Danish name? I'll go with the Matson one. Matson, tall ship. I'm thinking Matson too because. Matson. I don't believe any of us could have come up with a Danish name. It would have been funny. That would have been or funny. Or it sounds that convincing. We all were like, Bjorn woke up one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Madison is it. Madison is it. Okay. And Laura gets a point. And I get a point. 
<laughs> oh, Laura's the Laura's the tall ship. The tall ship. Laura. I did think about saying happy sailors are all alike, but then that was <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good yeah, it doesn't sound happy. <laughs> okay, right. let's move on. Okay, yeah. so do we want to switch to nonfiction? Ooh, doesn't yes. matter. Yeah. Okay, give it a go. So the book I have is Freak Kingdom. Hunter S. Thompson's manic tenure crusade against American fascism. So, Hunter Thompson is back and very much alive in this sympathetic and sharply written best years of his life bio. I loved it. This was Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Terry. Timothy Denevy shines a long overdue light on the powerful idealism that underlies all of my father's best writing. And he proves to us that Hunter's writing is just as relevant and important today as it was in the early 70s. This book is a must read for anyone concerned about our current political situation and shows why my father's books continue to inspire new generations of readers. Timothy Denevy's Freak Kingdom is a high-octane and elegantly written study of Hunter S. Thompson's fatwa against fascism. The damn thing is alive with anarchistic and climactically redemptive gonzo mischief. A fierce resistance fable for our troubled times. Okay, we should probably know a lot about fascism. (laughs) All right. All right. I guess the the one word sentence would be something like coffee. <laughs> For this one. Or drugs. Drugs, yeah. Maybe. I'm excited. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay. I just have to laugh at all of them so that you can tell, tell which one really is. laughing. <laughs> Number one. This is bat country. Number oh, two. On an autumn afternoon in 1963, Hunter S. Thompson, a 26-year-old journalist living in a small rental cabin with his wife, Sandy, was startled by a knock at the door. Wouldn't it be hilarious if that wasn't (laughs) real one? Muriel and Bert Thompson raised their brood of inquisitive, intelligent children in Lexington, Kentucky. That day, he entered the Freak Kingdom, wielding the flaming sword of journalistic justice. Oh, that one's gotta be my favorite. <laughs> either Kentucky or the Sandy. It's either Sandy or the Brood. I would say it's also. What was the, the first brood. one? Can we hear the first one again, please? This is Bat Country. <laughs> I like this one, one though. Too. This is like, yeah, that's very Gonzo journalism. But right I there. think I think that's something that Hunter. Thompson, Thompson would write, mm-hmm. not somebody would write about him. It's something he has written. Oh, actually. Okay, yeah, I vote for Kentucky. Kentucky. It's just like Kentucky. Kentucky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, oh, I have Flaming Sword. Flaming, flaming Sword. sword. <laughs> I mean, just, flaming because, sword. just because Flaming Sword. 
I mean, I think that. Do it's... I honestly think that's it? No, no. but I'm so really excited about so that. So the one. thing is, I think it's Sandy, but I really want that one to not be. I I really hope one of you, <laughs> one of you, <laughs> made up that. Sandy. Like, what is Hunter S. Thompson's wife's name? <laughs> so I'm gonna vote for that one, but I hope I don't get this point. No, I'd call her Chantal. <laughs> okay, okay, Sandy. Come on, Sandy. Sandy. You're going Sandy? Yeah. All right, well, that is the right one. Aww. Ellen, you are two for two. So I'm three for three. Three actually. for three. I know. So, two people. <sighs> Who did Flaming Sword? I'm so proud of you. Flaming <laughs> Sword is journalistic justice. I feel like I need to now buy some kind of prop that's a So you sword. wrote the brood one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Aaron. Pick. Last time right you now. guys said name, I wouldn't have come up with a name. So yeah, then I was I like, let me throw out all these names. I think some putting a name in is very convincing. And that's I think Muriel and Bert are <laughs> people that yeah. need to be part of our I think so. Somehow. So, so far, everyone has been... Um, a good writer one time mm-hmm. has been a convincing mm. writer one at least one time. I might have forgot one. I'm sorry. At least there is a reason we got those master's degrees. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go with this one. Yeah. All the right. trouble with women, and I'm not gonna show you what any of the words are. I'm just gonna show you what it looks like on the inside. Oh, right. So it's like okay. a com like a comic cartoony book mm-hmm. nice. by Jackie Fleming. So in the back it reads, "Can women be geniuses?" Or are their arms too short? Why did we only learn about two, scratch that, three, women at school? What were all the others doing? Mm -hmm. And then, Jackie Fleming nails it with her razor-sharp observational writing and drawing in this very funny and fresh take on women in history. What we have here is an emotionally incontinent patchwork quilt of unreliable information which could only be taken as historical fact by the most feeble and credulous of minds. We hesitate to say it's because she's a girl, but it is. And so this is a humor book. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you hadn't yet guessed, okay? okay? Mm-hmm. So it's a lady in a, like a bubble I can on the get, cover. I think I can say this. She's in the woman's sphere. I should have known. She's trapped in the woman's sphere. It's mm, such a terrible sphere. The one I wrote on. Mm-hmm. I should have used flaming sword in this one. Flaming sword would have worked. Can I use a flaming sword again? I like all of these. All of them. <laughs> all right. Ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all know as soon as Eve realized she was trapped in paradise with a man, she rolled her eyes. <laughs> okay. Somebody wrote that. Laura, <laughs> you guys, next one. In the olden days, there were no women. Which is why you don't come across them in history books. Also really good. <laughs> Women don't like porn because there isn't enough drama. Okay. It's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> so where were the other women? <laughs> Question mark. Question. Okay. All oh right. god, that's also hard. Mm. I go for rolling eyes. The number one. Okay, number mm-hmm. one. I also want rolling eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the one 
Not the one about porn, the one before that. In the olden days, there were no women, which is why you don't yeah. come across them in history books. I like that one. That's a good one. That's probably it. Okay, that is it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so who wrote... Holy That was great. That totally could have been it. This is really worth reading. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty goofy. And I like that it's different and how it looks mm-hmm. and it's handwritten and it does talk about and, like historical women mm-hmm. but it's it's very tongue-in-cheek more than three hopefully a fun fact um kind of humiliating fun fact so that th- there's been this really nice picture book published recently um the good night stories for rebel girls or something like oh, that oh yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is kind of great because it has like really nice images and stories about mm-hmm. so many women in history, and um, the awkward moment is when it was translated into Russian by one of the publishers, uh, there was a mistake. I don't know how it happened, probably the wrong, wrong file got sent to print, but the final versions, the ones that were sold out, um, had so many mistakes in them. For example, half of the time it would be like a story about, I don't know, Amelia Earhart, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and then at some point in her biography, the pronoun would switch from she to he. Oh. Oh. Or, like, that was some weird thing happening. So someone wasn't convinced a woman really did do it. Yeah, probably not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I don't know how it happened. I don't know what happened eventually. They call them off because um, people posted a lot of actually, like, stylistic mistakes in translations. Hmm. But I think the most embarrassing one is the one with the pronouns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when throughout the book, half of the female pronouns, like, her turned to him and so on. So, yeah. Fun fact of the week. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So the final scores are, I'm the best at guessing, apparently. Laura is next, then Aaron, then Natalia, you're no good at guessing. I'm not good at guessing. (laughs) I used the flaming sword. (laughs) And we're all okay at coming up with convincing first lines, but Laura is way, way better. (laughs) Way better. Yeah. We know who gets the Pulitzer. So that was really fun. I hope you guys had as much fun as we did getting to know blurbs of different books. And actually, I think also the important question is, are blurbs reliable or not? Because there mm-hmm. are so many books that the blurb just doesn't really mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. It, it either either doesn't do justice to the book or leads us along the wrong path. Expecting yeah. So I actually always things. try not to read blurbs like as much Same. as possible. If I can just, if I, if I know I'm going to read a book, I don't even look mm-hmm. because it's it usually ruins it. Like yeah. some book, it actually ruins mm-hmm. plot point. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, but yeah. otherwise, you just get this picture in your head mm-hmm. of what the book's going to be like, and it's usually nothing like that. Paratextual elements, man, can <laughs> screw everything up. Yeah, so it's interesting that this is actually the term that the industry uses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's not very complimentary. It's like supposed to be like disingenuous mm-hmm. and over right. the top. But everybody still does it. But I guess it still kind of makes sense to have a good sense of humor about this kind of thing. Because if everyone would take it seriously. Because everyone knows it's skeezy. I guess. But it's just part of the market. Mm-hmm. But weirdly, so when I was trying to read the article, I looked it up on my computer. And I actually ended up at a different site. Because whatever the NPR title was... Mm-hmm. Um, um, okay. I ended up at a different place, and somebody was asking if blurbs are really uh, relevant and or do they add any kind of value. 
And an author was saying that he recommend he recommended his publishers reach out to all these people to see if they would be willing to write a review for his book. Um, and the reviews he got back actually gave him more kudos with his publisher because the reviews were very positive. So then, uh huh, it, it was mm. even within the like the first part mm -hmm. of the communication mm -hmm. circuit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Here comes communication. Ended up being a very positive thing, which I thought was so interesting. The author themselves wanted this. No, that is very yeah. interesting that Bro. that maybe it is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it has mm -hmm. a really high value just not to readers. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I think from like my experience of as a reader myself and talking to other people who people who read especially like on YouTube and Instagram people only care about reviews and blurbs from someone who's really 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 famous mm -hmm. for example you would trust a review from Stephen King or Margaret Atwood saying this is a so superb novel. I wouldn't. Novel. Margaret Atwood reviews she does books. <laughs> she does. She reviews everything. Yeah, but still, But no, I see what you mean still. like like if we yeah. um the personalities align, or you're like, oh, this person recommended, like, oh, Zadie Smith said this is a good book, and I like Zadie Smith, yeah. so this must be Makes a good sense. book. Mm. But that's also not necessarily true, because we don't know what Zadie Smith reads. Yeah. We know what she, she writes. writes. You know right. what I mean? But she might have a very different... Yeah. But Margaret Atwood is the perfect example, because she really puts her name on just about everything. Yeah. 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 I really I mean, like we this. still love her. We we do. We do. still love her. And we're not on first name basis. No. Not unfortunately. No. But well maybe someday. Mm. In this mm. life, no? No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. Maybe. So this was my favorite example though. A very early blurb. Oh, what was it? Eighteen fifty six. On the leaves of grass mm -hmm. is a quote from Emerson. And it's put on the spine. Oh. Which is a weird place for mm. a blurb. I greet you at the beginning of a great career. Okay, that sounds that's like, like welcome that to the club. So a, a <laughs> gift and he... Well he sent a letter um, to Whitman and then with his permission they published the letter to say like, No, look, you really should read this book, this author is really good. Okay. Even Emerson thinks so. And then they put it on the spine as a mm. like an early blurb so that you knew this might be worth reading. Well, that's some neat marketing stuff, mm -hmm. I guess. Good. So I guess we can round up for this. So um, thank you guys for listening. And we hope to welcome you back for the next uh, episode of our podcast. Yes. Bye. 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 Bye.